I have anticipated this sermon series for several reasons. First, I appreciate the fact that we're in year A of the lectionary cycle. We're studying the Gospel of Matthew in year A, and Matthew is the most Jewish of all the Gospels. One of the ways we know this is by the way that Matthew's Gospel is structured. There's five parts to Matthew's Gospel, five discourses, five sections, and that is meant to mirror the five books of Torah. You know those. Say them with me. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You got it. Five books of the law, five sections of Matthew's gospel. Another thing I, I appreciate about Matthew's gospel is we hear a lot about mountains. Mountains are important. In Exodus, we know about Mount Sinai. Moses goes up the mountain and down the mountain and up. The, I mean, he is like stairmaster on steroids. He is going up and down all the time with the law. And he receives the law, the Ten Commandments, and he brings it down to the people because he's mediating the ways of God to people. That's in Exodus. It's a little bit more fleshed out in, in Deuteronomy where he preaches for 32 chapters. Y'all thought I was long-winded. <laughs> he's talking at length about what these 10 primary commandments mean and their ethics. So in Matthew's gospel, it is not accidental at all that a Jewish rabbi named Jesus decided to ascend another mountain and begin preaching. He sat down to teach, actually, that's what rabbis do. And Jesus was becoming this new Moses, the one who came to let the world know how to practice and live the laws of God in community, only he would begin widening the scope of, of how we understand the word community. He would be the one who would lead people out of the bondage of sin toward a promised land that would never end. In just a few weeks, Jesus will be on another mountaintop, the Mount of of transfiguration. That's where we're going. We're going from mountain to mountain right now. And when you read about a mountain in the Bible, take note, because it tends to mean that something revelatory, something significant is, is about to happen, and it may be referenced elsewhere uh, in the Bible. God does tremendous work on mountains like Sinai, like Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, or the Mount of Transfiguration or at Mount Calvary, Golgotha, or the Mount of, of the Ascension. But in the Bible, what happens on a mountain doesn't stay on a mountain. Mostly because real life happens between the mountains. Because real life happens through the valleys of death's shadows where we're told to fear no evil between the mountains because God is with us. So what about these Beatitudes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount? Well, the thing about these Beatitudes is that it's oftentimes easy to celebrate them on, on Sundays and to elevate them a little bit and talk about them. And we have them in various places around the church. One of my favorite places is this anteroom just off the south end of the sanctuary right here. There's a beautiful hand-carved wooden bench, and it has a needlepoint cushion on it. You can all go out this door today and see it if you like. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They will see God. It's beautiful. I just wonder how many people who are poor in spirit have given everything about themselves that they have to give to life, have sat right there and thought, 
I'm blessed. I'm blessed by God. These blessings, though, there's something about them that's peculiar to me. I'm not sure that we're supposed to read them as prescriptions, like from a doctor for how to live. You know, here's your prescription. Do this and, and you'll be blessed, you know. They seem to be more of a, a description of the people who are close to God's heart. And that when we find ourselves in these situations of these beatitudes, that in those moments between the mountains, we're blessed. If we didn't know better, I would say that, uh, you know, from Sunday school classes and VBS and disciple studies, they've taught us otherwise. But if we didn't know any better, we would say that Jesus would probably call the super religious, those who have all of the Bible, you know, memorized and highlighted who are here all the time, you know, the strongest and best teachers, preachers and all, those are the ones in our minds that, that should be called blessed. The ones with, you know, the super credentials, the card-carrying members. But that's not the ones that Jesus lifts up at all, actually. Because in Jesus' way of, of preaching, he's the great shepherd, you know, and he's the one that doesn't always make logical sense because he's willing to go after the one and leave the 99 behind. He talks about parables where something so small can give way to a kingdom that's so radically formational and transformational, and that just doesn't make sense in our minds. But that's, that's our great shepherd. He doesn't always make logical choices like we would make. I, I saw a sign uh, this past week or a couple weeks ago that was on a Jewish synagogue, and it said that um, Adam and Eve were the first people who did not read the Apple Terms and Conditions. Did you see that sign? Isn't that great? You see that sign? I, I think that, that since that, that moment, the human condition and the God condition have been slowly weaving their way back to Jesus. And at the center, the core of all of that is, is Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus preaches, he's given us new terms and conditions. And on the cross, one image of the cross is that he's holding all things together, past, present, and future, to say all people can now be drawn into God's family. So Jesus doesn't name drop in his sermon all the people who have life figured out or, or those who are morally impeccable or known as you know, super Jesus followers. And I don't even know if, if that group actually exists. Jesus, Jesus commends the, the rest of us he calls the poor in spirit blessed because they have nothing more to give or lose but everything to gain. They have fully exhaled fear and they're trying to figure out enough, muster enough energy to inhale faith. Jesus heralds those who mourn because it's through the cracks in their hearts that the light of Jesus Christ will come in and will shine out. I keep a very interesting alternative list of Beatitudes under my, my little desk set there. It's called the Beatitudes for the Weird, and a guy named Jacob Nordby is a blogger, and he wrote it. You, you can see uh, these five or six at, at some point if you want to look them up, but the last one I really appreciate. It says, Blessed are those who have endured breaking by life, for they 
are the resplendent cracks through which the light shines. Isn't that great? There's something to those who are poor in spirit that allows the light of Christ in and then allows through those same cracks the light of Christ to help others. Jesus does not mention the strong ones, but he mentions the meek, the ones with a gentle soul. And although the world might trample on them, they teach us how to become more human in the process. Frederick Beekner, theologian Frederick Beekner, likens the meek to Charlie Chaplin, the dapper and undaunted man over whom life continues to lord and trample, but which cannot touch his heart. I love Charlie Chaplin. Jesus preaches a word of admonition to the people who hunger and thirst to be more like God. They, they see how far they need to go more than how far they've come. Jesus raises up not the ones of great power or persuasion, but the ones who know how undeserving their life is. So they set out each day to make sure that others have a second chance. Think about it like uh, in Hamilton terms, the merciful are not throwing away their shot to give someone else a shot. Right? And by all means, Jesus does not commend people who are totally pure, but are pure in heart. Those, despite the winds and the waves or the degree by which the ground shakes beneath their feet, have remained pure in heart for God and for others. Jesus calls the peacemakers blessed, not because they have discovered peace in totality, but because they've seen it. And they know that it's peace and only peace that will change the world. And then Jesus saves the best for last by saying that the ones who side with the scandal of grace and the upside-downness of heaven, those, those are the blessed ones. And he does something interesting. I don't know if you heard it. He shifts from saying, blessed are those, to saying, blessed are you. Did you hear that shift in the scripture? Because the superheroes of the faith, they were not in the crowd, but the people who were being persecuted and stepped on, the ones who were speaking out and standing up and sitting down and advocating for and who found themselves as the least and the last and the lost and the lonely, they apparently were in the crowd that day. And they received a direct message from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to say, you are blessed when you stand up for the cause and the mission of Jesus Christ. So here's what I think is happening on this mountain. I think Jesus is donning his pastoral role by looking out at his flock over whom many have been beat down by life, oppressed by power, kicked aside by their religion, evicted from their family because of some past decision they've made, or people, maybe people who have been reading the first century headlines and just saw how divisive the, the politics of the day had become. And I think he looked out over all that pain and that anxiety and that confusion, just like he did on the boat when we read in Mark 4, and he said, peace, peace, you are blessed just as you are. Not because of anything you have done or can do, but because God says you are blessed. I think it's, it's the Lord's way of saying if you are someone living in fear or loneliness or doubt or despair, if you've been castigated by the people you love, then my flock, you are blessed in God's sight. And you were part of God's plan 
God's plan is really simple. It's to draw all people to God's heart. And then to send us out to draw more people to God's heart through love. I've been reading this year uh, as part of my discipline, the Common English Bible. I wanted a different translation of the Bible. But the Beatitudes in the Common English Bible are not very attractive to me, and I'm saying that with former professors at Emory who edited that Bible. But it says, happy are the poor in spirit, and happy are the mournful, and happy are the hungry, happy are the blessed is my preferred translation. We can do a lot of things to make our, ourselves happy, but only God can bless, right? Only God can say, you are blessed just as you are. Every culture has tried to define what blessed means. Blessed by our freedom to worship, blessed if we have found success or health or prosperity or popularity or recognition or prestige or the, the perfect GPA or the perfect spouse, which actually I have, so I am blessed in that way, um, I must say. But what is blessed? Is it fortunate? Is it happy? Is it lucky? What is blessed? Blessed means you're part of God's heart, just as you are. No matter where you've been, no matter where you are, you belong to God. It's a wonderful theologian who laid this text alongside a very famous poem, Robert Frost's poem, Two Roads to Verge. And what I've discovered about that is that the Jesus way and the world's way, that sometimes they overlay, and other times they're two roads diverging in a yellow wood. Sorry, we cannot travel both. <laughs> One theologian said that we see these diverging paths, the beginning of the world's path and the beginning of the Jesus path. They both have their own um, alluring properties uh, to them. The beginning of the world's path is happy family life and health and, and prosperity. But then all of a sudden, maybe it bends in the undergrowth and we get tangled up in that and we find ourselves all alone. And, and then what? When, when the season of life comes, then what? Or there's the Jesus path. And maybe it seems easy at the start Come to worship, the Bible studies, all of the connection points. But then we keep walking down the discipleship path. And we understand it becomes a little bit more difficult when that road bends and the undergrowth is what it is. What do we do when we find ourselves alone? Well, we keep walking because we're blessed. And chances are we'll find somebody else on that pathway with us. Maybe, maybe somebody who, who doesn't know where we're going, but they know where they're going. And that's, that's okay, too difference is that we keep going because humility, unlike power, it, it needs no defense and doing the right thing is its own reward. A pure heart is, is so much easier to live with than resentment and jealousy and fear and rage and hate. And so step by step, as difficult as this disciple's path might be, we keep walking, denying ourselves, shedding our old selves, and the more we do that, friends, along the way, the Jesus way, the more we find inescapable joy, indescribable joy. And oh, it floods my soul. Something happened and it makes us whole. Jesus touches us and makes us whole. So I just say today, be blessed. If you're watching 
by means of live stream, if you're watching on television, if you're watching on website, listening on the podcast, be blessed. You are loved by God, not because of anything that you have done, but because God says so. These elements are going to be brought forth in just a moment, processed down the center aisle, and I invite you all to come down and process down the center aisle, and you'll present your hands, and you'll receive a little bit of bread and a little bit of, of juice. You'll dip it in there, and you can pray and stay as long as you like. But the one image among many that I love about the sacrament of Holy Communion is that we're so broken and divided in, in so many other areas of, of this world, in our personal lives, our family lives, and you name it. Jesus Christ said, I'm going to break myself open so that you can become one, so that you can find joy and peace and know that you are blessed. So this morning, just, just come and know that you are blessed by God Almighty. Amen.